What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for listening to Armchair Producers. This is just a reminder that you can go over to twitch.tv slash thefriedbrain every Wednesday evening at around 8 o'clock, and you can listen to us live, and you can actually also donate to us if you'd like. It does help support the channel, keep things running. Episode 107 of Armchair Producers. I am one of your hosts, George Terran, the exhausted one, and I am joined as ever by the man, the myth, the talent, Mr. Travis Croft. How are you today? I'm fine with Danny. I'm glad I'm finally getting my, my props, so I won't have to go back to my trailer just yet. Um, Don't worry. Episodes. Green M&Ms are coming, sir. The green M&Ms are coming. In shot glass! Yes. Or else I walk! Um, um, I was 107 episodes. It's quite remarkable. We weren't yeah. shut down after about five. Um, well, well, I was going to say five minutes into the first episode, but hey. <laughs> well, I mean, gosh, it certainly seems I have a higher opinion of us than you, which is difficult to understand. Um, but 107, and, and considering that there were probably, well, I don't know, 60 or 70 episodes of a G&T podcast before that. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, we're, we're getting old hat at this now. It's, it's, and, it's, it's, and we still haven't got any better. So, you well, know. I was, I was going to say our quality has maintained, just to keep it a myth. You know, so like, oh, they've improved, well, obviously. Yeah. We have headphones now. It um, has we're... never dropped. I can tell you that. We've never, we've never been better than this. Yes. Uh, <laughs> That's <laughs> a guarantee. <laughs> rock, rock solid, ironclad guarantee. Uh, if you're somebody who's been listening to us since the old G&T days, if you're one of our bots on the internet. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Even if you're not, if this is the first time you've ever downloaded the show, yeah. I don't know how you found us, but um, but welcome. And we're glad to have you aboard. And we have, I think, we were just discussing it before we went live, a second week we have a very full show. Yeah. Well, I mean, we we had the Zack Snyder Justice League Marathon, which ended up, we went, didn't talk about much, but we went quite deep into it. And I think we're going to have a similar thing today. So for a little bit of a, let's do the pre-run. So for anyone who's listening to this on podcast, you can check us out live on Wednesdays, usually about 7.30, depending on traffic for me. Australian usually. Eastern time, if yes. you're from somewhere else. That is very, very true. Thank you, Travis. Um, but um, we are live on twitch.tv slash the fried brain, uh, youtube.com slash armchair producers, um, facebook.com slash uh, fried brain productions. And um, we've also got Travis as well on there, facebook.com slash Travis Croft, I think it is. But um, we'd love you to come along, like, subscribe, share. It helps us find, uh, get new people joining in. We're very active in our chat as well. Um, so if you've got thoughts and suggestions, like last week someone was talking about Flight of Dragons, Travis, Travis might have it. an opportunity to talk about it. I watched the um, damn thing. Yeah. And for anyone um, who has uh, Amazon Prime account, you can also use you get a one month free Twitch Prime subscription, which you can use. You can that gives us a little bit of cachet with Twitch and you get to, to just kind of show your support. And that's free every month. You just have to re up it. So we'd appreciate it or find another creator. And if you've got yeah, Amazon Prime, just sit in there. There's some really good people who do some really entertaining stuff on Twitch. Yeah. And we're not amongst them. So, you know, <laughs> um, but that said, if you enjoy it, uh, that's fantastic. And, you know, do what yeah. you will. But, like, there are, there are some really great creators out there. Um, and one of the, one of the, I have a new television. And one of the worst things about mm -hmm. it is okay. it's a smart TV and <laughs> it doesn't have a Twitch app. Oh, really? 
Yeah, it's got, it's got all the other apps for all the other things, right? You could ever possibly imagine, but it doesn't have a Twitch app. So I find myself watching a lot less Twitch now because mm. uh, I, I guess I've just adapted to have my, my TV having all the things it, that I wanted. Does it, does your TV have, like like my TV has got, um, I think it's, I think they call it like anytime viewing or something, and you can kind of sync it up, just uh, cast straight to the TV. I could do it from my phone, so it's not impossible by any stretch of imagination. I just find that a little bit more trouble. Yeah, yeah, they it's just like oh, cannot connect right now. It's like, yeah, it's like it's literally a bit just work. Yeah, it's fussy about when it wants to connect to the telly, so it's just easy with an app. But uh, you know, yeah. absolute first world problems. Mm -hmm. Uh, right here, we're, we're discussing it. <laughs> My TV doesn't have a Twitch app. <laughs> um, <laughs> should we? Should we? We've got a full show, we got a, a past, yeah, lineup. we've actually watched three things that we've actually both watched, which is a little unusual for us so well, should we, should we... two and a half two, two and, and a half. half two and a half okay. yeah there you go so but um, um, the the basic rundown for the show ladies and gentlemen we will be doing our chain movie at the top of the show as we always do which is connecting from the previous week to to the new week via actors writers directors producers musicians there's always a connective tissue last week we talked about night of the generals which had a chilling performance by peter o'toole I decided it was my turn. We interchange. I followed Peter O'Toole to the Stephen Fry early 2000s movie, Bright Young Things. So that's going to be our first topic. Next up, we'll be talking about the first two episodes of Falcon and the Winter Soldier on Disney+. Plus. Then we will talk about Godzilla versus Kong. Seeing how long we go in the teeth, we may have a chance to talk a little bit about Flight of Dragons and Netflix's new show, The Irregulars. So let's get straight into the chain movie, shall we? Bright young things. So um, as you mentioned earlier, it's the connected uh, film from last week, the chain movie. I think the connection was Peter O'Toole. Mm -hmm. The great Peter O'Toole, he played the uh, the killer in uh, The Nova Generals. He plays mm -hmm. um, someone's dad in this film. Um, <laughs> the, um, and I think it's accurate to say someone's dad because anyway, Emily Mortimer's character, Nina's dad. Yes. Um, and uh, I don't actually recall was the the colonel or something very original like that. Yeah, yeah. I I can't um, remember any of the characters' names. It's and that again says quite a great deal about mm. this film. Um, here's the interesting thing: I mm. didn't like this film very much. I mm. found it quite dull, but I suspect that might be a rather generous um, uh, synopsis of a film compared to what you're about to do to it. But um, should we give it a bit of a... Yeah, <laughs> should, let's, should let's tell, of... tell the audience what it's about. So uh, I'll go for a slightly longer version because, it's, you know, otherwise we're just not going to go very long. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> a Fool and His Money. In the 1930s, Adam Fenwick Symes, played by Stephen Campbell Moore, is part of the English idol class. Wanting to marry the flighty Nina Blunt, played by Emily Mortimer, he's a novelist with a £100 advance for a manuscript confiscated by English customs. Mm. He spends the next several years trying to get money and to set a wedding date. He trades in gossip, wins money on wages, then gives it to a drunken major, played by Jim Broadbent, who mm -hmm. suggested he bet on a horse in an upcoming race. Adam tries to get the money back but can't find the major. Meanwhile, Nina needs security. Friends drink too much and general unhappiness spoils the party. Then war breaks out. Is Adam's bright youth dimming with the fall of an empire? So this is based on uh, a novel by Evelyn Waugh 
uh, vile bodies. Mm. Uh, I, we we learned last week Evelyn Ward is a dude, um, yep. which is actually has so much I know about classic British literature. Mm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> probably everyone's like, what do you mean? Of course he is a dude. And I'm like, I, 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 I mean, Evelyn Ward books. Uh, you said mentioned it's directed by Stephen Fry. And of course, it's directed by Stephen Fry. The mm -hmm. film reeks yes. of Stephen Fry. Yeah. Um, quite an impressive cast. Um, mm -hmm. We mentioned uh, the the our, our um, uh, what's the guy's name? Uh, Peter O'Toole. Peter O'Toole. Sorry, I was just trying to think of it, his protagonist name. So Adam. Oh yeah, um, um, played by Stephen Campbell. More, who's he's got the, the, the starring role in this picture with some very famous people. Mm -hmm. And I looked at his synopsis, his film history. I'm like, I think I saw him in War of the Worlds last year, but that's about it. Um, we have James McAvoy as Emily Mortimer, probably best known for some of her stuff on American television. Um, Michael Sheen, Stockard Channing, uh, Dan Aykroyd, uh, Jim yep. Broadbent, David Tennant, Peter O'Toole, John Mills. Yep. He's in there, the great Sir John Mills. Um, mm -hmm. Again, in a fairly small world, so quite a quite a collection of talent here, and it is individually completely pissed against the wall here. Um, mm -hmm. It's wow! It's, this is a dull film. Yeah, I remember when this movie came out. This was in the peak. This was two thousand three, and this was at a point in my life where I was I just moved to London, and I just got one of the best inventions of all time the membership card for UGC cinemas where you paid 15 pounds a month and you could go as often as you wanted. Fan fucking tastic. That first year I watched 365 different movies at the cinema, ladies and gentlemen. Quite impressive. That is really impressive. And I kept this. Loser. Loser. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's all, it's all right. That's it's strange. A lot of people have that reaction. It's weird. <laughs> um, Fuck you. <laughs> Did you, was it a conscious effort to see unique films or did you like, no, I have to get it up? It was a great opportunity to just, because it was um, the, where the cinema was, it got a lot of foreign movies coming in from India, from France, all over Europe. We got a lot of Asian movies coming in. So there was just so much depth. They were every couple of weeks, they were having these different kind of themed festivals and stuff. I worked there for a little while and I was able to do some like 80s themes as well. So it was just a really good eclectic cinema. It got all the big releases. It was a brand spanking new, like what you get when you go into a readings or a village cinema. But it just so happened to have a bit more individuality that it kept on doing all these other bits. So it's a great cinema, really enjoyable. And you're paying £15 a month. It's like, hell yeah, that's a good night out. Cool. Yeah. And so I imagine this is where you encountered this film. It is, yes. And I have such strong memories of coming out of this movie thinking, that was awesome. That's why I chose it for this. And I rented it on Apple TV+. I started watching it. And within about three minutes, I was looking at my watch going, oh, fuck. Oh, jeez. I couldn't get past 26 minutes watching this movie because, my fucking God, these characters are horrible. They are, they are just foulness. And thinking about it today, there's a lot of similarities in the period of this movie to another Stephen Fry project, which was Jeeves and Wooster. Did you ever get Jeeves and Wooster over here, Trav? 
Yeah, you might be surprised to hear this, but I wasn't alive in the 1940s. Um, this so... is not actually, it was a TV show with Stephen Fry. Don't be pedantic. Was it? Yeah, yeah, it was him and Hugh Laurie. And this was before Hugh Laurie went off to America and did House and all of that stuff. It was based on P.G. Woodhouse novels. I've heard of, I've heard of P.G. Woodhouse novels. Mm. Um, that's why I was assuming you were talking about uh, mm. Jeeves and Brewster. I've heard of mm. Fry and Laurie, mm. um, but I don't think I've heard of that show. Yeah. So this was kind of uh, Fry and Laurie. They got really big with their comedy skit show, A Bit of Fry and Laurie, one of the first British shows to use the word cunt on life uh, on tv they were merging, merging it in it was a name of uh, some author of a cricket book ted Cunterblast. um <laughs> yeah <laughs> all the material right there it's a, it, they they did some fantastic stuff um but they then went on to do this it was a bit more serious it was uh this very much this time period same as bright young things um hugh fry is uh uh, sorry, Hugh Laurie it plays um, this really dumb but charming and so, so friendly aristocratic gent. And Stephen Fry plays his um, very intellectual, um, very way above his status butler. And it's just hijinks ensue. And it's really charming and just a delight. It's joyful. Whereas this, all of the characters are fucking assholes. And it, it really, it's very British, isn't it? Kind of reminded me of something like Mansfield Park. In Park. Yeah. Except I really like Mansfield Park a lot. Yeah. Uh, and that's actually fun and entertaining. And mm. the fact that they're assholes, these upper class assholes, mm. it's quite, they're played for laughs. Yeah. Um, whereas here they're played with very straight bass. Yeah. It's almost, it's almost like, well, look how much fun they were, right? You know, look mm. what a wonderful time it was to be part of the idle rich, you know, you know, um, you know, gallivanting around London, drinking and doing drugs and just being rich and yeah. parties. And there's, you know, there's that sort of an angle and it's like there's so many parties to go to and, mm. uh, you know, but they never actually sort of stop and actually take a closer look at that and go, Mm. What a bunch of assholes these people were compared to what life must have been like for the average British person. Yeah, in because that, that period of time is fascinating. It is wonderful. Like in the beginning, we talk about we talked about it th through the, the synopsis. Um, what's his name? Adam's uh, novel is his manuscript called Bright Young Things gets confiscated because they are stopping certain books coming in. And that feels actually rather poignant to the way that a lot of people have kind of dealt with Brexit and things like that. So like, oh, keep Britain British and all that bollocks. Um, never mind, we've been invaded more it. than anyone. <laughs> I got into an argument on Saturday night with someone about Brexit um, mm. that went for probably over an hour. Um, I actually met somebody who, uh, a friend of mine, who actually voted yes for Brexit. And, and had a very, very firm opinion. It's just, it's just on the side. I thought it was a very mm, interesting mm. thing to actually... The first time I've heard of anybody who actually said yes to Brexit. I'm like, this is very interesting. Yeah. Um, but anyway, sorry to interrupt you. No, 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 that's that's fine. Uh, this person is dead to me, whoever they are. <laughs> it's your fault. Um, but yeah, so that is that kind of um, censorship was 
was a legitimate thing at that period. And it's kind of rearing its ugly head a little bit now with a lot of um, the the bills that are trying to be pushed through Parliament. So that, that that's an interesting thing that you could make a really interesting story about, just about the society and culture of that time. Similarly, it was between wars. And it that is always going to be an interesting point. It's that uh, kind of rediscovering what normal life is but this looming threat and like there's uh, the great scene with um uh nigel planner as the one-armed taxi driver it takes adam to go and see the colonel and he just says oh they need to go and see a bl- good bloody war it's like that was that was what a lot of people were kind of saying so like all oh, these young people idle doing all sorts of stuff they just need to they need to see some horror <laughs> they just set them right I, I, trust me, that's that's not an attitude that's being restricted to the UK. I've heard it said in this country as well. Yeah, but it's so like there's there's so many. It's such a ripe period of time, and there's just little hints of it throughout. That so like, oh, that would be really cool. But the characters are just fucking assholes, and, and the like, story I, doesn't really do anything. No. What is the actual arc of his story? He arrives yeah. in Britain. He wants to marry his girlfriend. He gets his book um, confiscated and spends the next few years trying to make money, trying and failing to make enough money to convince his girlfriend to marry him. And then he joins the army. I mean, that's yeah. literally the story. Like, there's no, not a really a great deal of character development. There's no real mm. arc of the characters, unless they go through, you know, a trial and they learn something and, you know, yada, yada, yada. It's yeah. Just, it stuff just happens. There's, I, I feel like there's a, a, a lot of the, the banter between them. Um, there's elements of that funny kind of Oscar Wildean kind of that that kind of vibe, which I feel like Stephen Fry is kind of synonymous with. He's very very open. I mean, he's played Oscar Wilde on screen, and um, he is very much a big lover a big fan of oscar wilde and there's elements of the snappy dialogue between them that if you actually study it and you know it you can kind of go oh okay that that's smart humor but otherwise it goes by so quickly and it's not really kind of given its time to shine that it just passes off as oh, well they just be dicks to each other it's it's not endearing or anything like that. Like you think about the the sardonic way that p- characters treat each other in Futurama, Family Guy, any of these kind of uh, sitcoms and things like that, where they'll just have this back and forth repartee spat. It's that's the modern version of what Oscar Wilde was kind of writing, but it's highlighted and it's always highlighted in Oscar Wilde. And here it's just muddled in amongst this, kind of very cavalier throw it at the wall see what sticks move on kind of attitude and it's just infuriating um some of our talent we mentioned earlier is severely wasted Mm -hmm. um james mcavoy in fairness james mcavoy was quite young and was certainly Mm -hmm. not the star he's gone on to become in Mm -hmm. 2003 it's probably one of his earlier films i would imagine but Mm -hmm. he's in it very briefly before a very abrupt exit from the film in a in a kind of a it treats suicide in a very cavalier manner. Yeah. Which I found not sure I'd say troubling. I'd just say 
a little bit of i mean how do you play a suicide for laughs i mean that's well i mean i guess it's done i mean you know yeah. but it was i don't know it was it was a little odd it was a little yeah. odd and it seemed unmotivated and strange to me that that, that happened hmm. sort of without any we had actually knowing this character at all and, and i guess also because we now recognize the champ mcavoy's a big star and having yeah. him knock himself off after you know 20 minutes of screen time a little unusual mm, yeah it's it, it it's that's a very very good example of the cavalier attitude of every cause and effect within the movie it's like oh that happened but move on <laughs> pretty and, much yeah and so what why do we as an audience feel like we should be invested in these characters and just go along on this journey when nothing matters and we're very clearly being told yeah don't 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 you don't need to worry just just enjoy the pretty gatsby-esque kind of mm. thing it's okay. I, I didn't it was it supposed to be funny do you think because uh it does say comedy <laughs> drama on imdb and mm. i didn't laugh once i didn't find anything in this film remotely funny there's in again like it, it's a very stephen fry kind of tag of that's that intellectual comedy and like some of the 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 banter between characters it's sort of like okay i get why that's funny socially but it's not actually funny it's if you've studied oscar wilde and if you've studied some of those classic english authors of um even stuff like jane austen where she's actually putting a lot of comedy into those social interactions in her books if you have studied it if you are quite well versed in it even even more just a bit more than a cursory experience you're gonna kind of find it funny but at the same time it's still sort of like yeah uh, I like dry comedy. I like Stephen Fry's work mm. on television. Um, but you're right. It just kind of seems to be a very niche comedy in a sense. Yes. Like, yes. You enjoy this kind of British hoity-toity liter literary style comedy, then, mm. you know, you might get something out of this. It's got a pretty good rating in IMDb. in reason yeah. 6.6. 6. It's got a 64 on Metacritic. And, I mean, I found myself... I didn't hate it as much as you did. I was able to finish it. <laughs> um, I was quite bored. I found so many of the characters super annoying. Um, uh, the character of Agatha, played by Fenella Woolgar, who's a oh, face God. very, yeah. very familiar. I just can't quite pick where I've seen her before. Um, but the character of Agatha, who I... Maybe she's based on Agatha Christie? I don't know. Um, but... She was one of the idle rich, one of uh, Adam's and, you know, Nina's friends and just sort of, mm. you know, um, sort of waltzes through life with her heads in the cloud and ends up in a mental home at the end of the year. It's been like, you know, I know it's spoilers, but right, trust me, I'm doing you a favor. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I'm like, so is it, what are they actually saying here? Is she actually crazy? Like, or is she actually mentally ill or? Insane. again it's it's part it's it's where this this movie kind of has one of one of its many many issues of it's trying to be too many things it's trying to be very intelligent it's trying to take a point of view of the society like she is a problem child and being put into a mental institution was quite common for women who didn't want to fall in line or do what society was expecting of them um and so it is actually a tragic end and if you do know that 
fuck, that's that's what happened. And it's not because she was crazy. It's just because she was a free spirit. The injustice of that is really quite tragic because hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of women through this period were just institutionalized just because they didn't fit in. It wasn't because there was anything wrong with them. It was because they were difficult. And parents with a bit of money just put them over there and kind of forgot about them, which is tragic, much like James McAvoy's suicide. But it's still kind of left so whimsical and unaffirming that you just kind of go, all right, so that happened. Sorry, I was on mute. Um, (laughs) Also, we don't care about her character. What we've yeah. seen her do is gallivanting around parties, being drunk and taking drugs. Like, um, we haven't learned anything about her or enough about her to care about her. We haven't spent enough mm. time with it. Um, so, you know, it, again, it, all that stuff you just talked about, mm. now that you mentioned it, you're like, okay, I can see that. Mm. Um, but, but we weren't given any of that context in the film. No. And uh, we, weren't given that, we weren't given a character that we cared about to be in that situation. So... Mm. Uh, it was just sort of like, okay, she, they're having a party now in her ward at the insane asylum because that's yeah. what they do. Um, and, it, and it comes back to your original point. These people are repellent. Yeah. Um, and you make a, a film about a bunch of repellent people who aren't necessarily doing anything that bad. They're just, you know, living out their 20s doing nothing, which is, you know, fuck knows. That's what I did. Um, <laughs> um but you know, with, with a little bit more style, you know, with yeah. two minute noodles is what I had. And goon, you classy uh, motherfucker. <laughs> goon and two minute noodles. That would be an Australian version of. I would like to see an Australian version of Bright Young Things. It's called Goon. Um, <laughs> goon Young Things or something like that. Uh, it runs at Young Goons. <laughs> Bazza wants to marry Shazza, but he fucking got his fucking semlink fucking cut off, didn't he? Uh, <laughs> Stupid cat. <laughs> Fucking got the FJ towed on the weekend and all. Um, <laughs> it would write itself, I swear to God. Um, but, you know, they're not necessarily bad people doing bad things. They're just seriously unlikable people. Kind of, yeah. I think I, I met actually at a party once. I remember speaking in my 20s. I met somebody who was particularly well off and, and he liked to flex about it, as we would say today. Mm. And, she was she would fit right in with this crowd if she was you know, a little more British, mm-hmm. um, and she was completely unlikable. And you're like, what a prick! Um, and that's what you can say about most of these people. But they don't look like they'd be fun to hang out with unless you're one of them. Yeah. So even then, to hang around hang around with them, there's not much real. Certainly, that it never came across to me as much of a camaraderie between them. They all don't seem to really care about anyone else. It's just like I'm hanging around with these people because. These people are who the cool people hang around with. I don't actually care what happens to them as long as I'm having fun. Yeah, that'd be about right. Um, there's yeah. not a lot of not a lot of love lost between them, I and mean, especially they have a relationship between Adam and Nina. I mean, it's mm. portrayed in quite a um. And is it supposed to be romantic? Like, um, she at one point just basically says, "You've got essentially." I'm paraphrasing. You've got no money. I'm marrying somebody else. I'm marrying <laughs> David Tennant. Um, and let's, let's face it, it's David Tennant mm-hmm. who can blame her. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, the guy's a smoke show. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, but he eventually gets her back. So, in, he, sorry, he initially sells her his interest, as he puts it, in Nina and um, 
to 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 David Tennant's character for a hundred pounds, essentially, or a little bit less. Yeah, um, seventy six pounds or something. He sells his interest in his former fiance. Then he goes to war and comes back and buys his interest back in Nina and her uh, now son um, mm-hmm. for significantly $34,000. Hell of an investment by David Tennant. He mm-hmm. should write a book. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, the Barefoot Doctor or something. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because that's a, that's a hell of a return in five or six years. Yeah. Um, and she's kind of like cool with it. She's like, oh, I assume I've been bought again. You're like, well, yeah. Blah, blah, blah. yeah. Yeah, make me a martini or something. I don't know. Um, and it's like, what the fuck? And I, th- it, I think it's those things are supposed to be played for laughs. Like in the first opening twenty minutes, it's like, I'm afraid I don't think I can marry you. I don't have any money. And then it's like, oh, wedding's back on. I want a hundred pounds. And then it's like, oh, I lost it again. Marriage is off. It's like, okay, I get why that would be funny, or should be funny. But it's just not. It just comes off as these guys are ridiculously privileged and annoying. And I think maybe maybe a more talented director could have done a lot better of this. And there's a reason Stephen Fry he isn't well known mm. as a director. He's a a writer, an actor, a voice actor, mm-hmm. an author. I this guess this is his only directing um, credit. So I think I've said. I mean, some people. Yeah. You know, I, I, as I said, if you look at something again like Mansfield Park, um, mm. that's a film that I really enjoyed. I can't remember Michael Apted was it who directed that? Um, uh, I can't remember. It was it was a, a, a much more experienced and well known director in that case um, than than uh, they were talking. Mansfield Park is Patricia Rosima. That's not the film I'm thinking of. It's the one with Stephen Fry in it that he's got the murder. You're thinking one. of Gosford Park, I think. Gosford Park. There's so many parks in England. <laughs> yes, I know. Gosford Park is the one I'm thinking of. Excuse yeah. me for getting my parks mixed up. Mm. Um, and that's that Robert, is Altman. Robert Altman. Yeah. Robert Altman, who is a legend. He, he he was yeah he was a master, and that was kind of him really at the top of his game. And I mean, usually when you got Maggie Smith in, it's going to be pretty fucking good as well. She doesn't do she doesn't do hot shit, but uh, I think it's needless <laughs> to say here that we went back to Death Machine territory here with Brian. Yeah. This might be the first one you haven't finished. Yeah, I think it actually is. And so I we said off air, I said to Travis that there should be some form of punishment for me not finishing, especially a movie that I picked. So Travis, and- you have got free reign. What is my punishment? punishment is so i mm. uh, i um record another podcast known as the throwback available now wherever good podcasts can be attained from uh with my good friend susie uh mm-hmm. where we watch movies for about childhood and our teen years and we uh, hold them up to the light of 2021 and go do they hold up to 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 be being an adult and he knows what's coming, or he may he may yeah. think he knows what's coming. Uh, so last night um, we watched uh, one of Susie's favorite movies from when she was a teenager. Oh no! Um, and it was keep an eye if you like a good podcast, you might like have a look at the throwback. You can find it on Spotify and all those sort of places. Next one, we haven't recorded the show yet, but we can. I can tell you, it was a very uncomfortable viewing experience. Um, watching Poison Ivy, it was like. 
I, this mm. is a film that absolutely does not hold up as a hint for anybody who watches that show. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> would I be so cruel as to now uh, make George endure Poison Ivy? I think not. I think You're going to take me somewhere else, aren't you? Poison Ivy 2! Oh, fuck you. <laughs> that, where we've gone from the uh, acting chops. Oh, no. Oh, There's also a Poison Ivy 3 and 4. 4, which is quite remarkable. But uh, this one has Alyssa Milano in it. Okay, yep. Xander Berkeley. Those are two. Oh, Camilla Bell. Three people I know in it. Okay. I think it's going to file it under, like, American Psycho 2. If, like, somebody bought yeah. the rights to the name. And no one's really quite sure why they made it. Yeah. Um, has a four and a half, so it's not quite that bad. Uh, here, here's the plot for anyone who's remotely interested in playing along at home. Uh, first time out of Michigan, Lily starts art school in LA and shares a house with other young artistic people. Both her teacher and roomie slash classmate show interest in her. Mm. This sounds like the prime material for what would have been. I talk about it quite quite a lot in these kinds of scenarios. When Channel 5 first aired in BBC, that mildly soft porn with a story attempt, probably actually a student project that somehow got a little bit more funding. Uh, Yep, all right. This is going to be my punishment. Poison oh. Ivy. And two. just for a treat, we've got an old friend visiting. <sighs> Any thoughts on what was happening in the Polish poster for Everton? <laughs> <laughs> As the, no. only person, the only person with the band hammer, you're just going to have to watch that because I can't do it. Um, <laughs> behave yourself, Fox Pixar. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we know your game. Uh, and, yes. and, and as much as we like it, um, you know, let's keep it above the belt. Uh, yes. That's George's punishment. We don't do punishment very often anymore. It's been a long time. Yeah. Um, but I found myself going, wow, if um, if I think uh, the actual original Poison Ivy was about a five or five and a half, I think, on IMDb, if this is a four and a half, how bad does it have to be? Yeah, that's fair. But um, we do also have to find out where are you taking us for next week's chain movie, Travis. I actually prepared for this one for a change. Uh, I know, right? Shocking, shocking. Um, it, you know, what you can actually achieve instead of me just going, oh, it's my <laughs> turn to pick. I Ghostbusters. Pick. Quickly, quickly. Uh, I could with Dan Aykroyd. I, I will not, though, because that's an obvious <laughs> choice. And I don't like the obvious picks. I, I'm, I'm trying to add some culture and some life to be show and we're going back to the early 80s okay uh, 60s don't go back to the early 80s and we are going to follow mm-hmm. jim broadbent too um Ooh. yes where is it here um time bandits <gasps> oh time bandits oh my goodness 1981 yeah. um terry gilliam very loose sort of Monty Python reunion kind of thing. Yeah, kind of. But 
This oh, and and talk about another great place to, to launch off of Sean Connery, Shelley Duvall, John Cleese, Ian Hull, Michael Palin, ah, oh, Peter Vaughan, got David Warner. I could take you to Tron, Travis. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yes, yeah, so it, it just tick all the boxes. Oh, fantastic. Um, not to say one could follow te- follow Terry Gilliam to any yeah. number of very interesting places um alone being one of the more interesting directors going around yeah today. yeah Fantastic. Um, anyway, so i've never seen time bandits you've never seen time bandits somehow it's slipped um wow it's by it's, making a tv series based on time bandits how interesting um yeah. um but no I've, I've somehow never managed to to see it and being a major fan of Monty Python, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yep, yep. It's a travesty. It is a good opportunity for you to watch. I think we've been like... Because uh, neither of us had watched Night of the Generals before, had we? I hadn't, no. Uh, you hadn't watched Syriana? I had. Oh, you had. Oh, okay. Oh, I thought we'd gone gone back uh, a couple of weeks with uh, movies that you'd never watched. <laughs> a couple of movies. three in a row now for me. And um, Yeah. I mean, like, it's nice to go back and watch this. Like, we could pick a film like Ghostbusters so we could sit here and jerk off um, mm. about it for, <laughs> for 25 minutes, half an hour without a problem. But um, it'd be more interesting. I think it's more interesting to, to have people, I you know, so. hear our first impressions of something. And maybe something, maybe they've missed as well. Time Banners isn't a particularly well-known film anymore. It's kind of a cult film, uh, I guess. Oh, okay. Uh, Miss Foxy, that is that is good. Um, she wrote in the, in the chat, um, uh, what's wrong with you, Travis, for not having watched this? And then followed that up with, it's a travesty. But um, yeah. Thank you. Uh, yeah. I appreciate that. That, that. that is um, going to be a T-shirt now. <laughs> um, enjoy the deal. I'll be here all week. Um, <laughs> take my wife, please. Um, <laughs> thank you. Yes. Is that, no one's made that joke before. Um, no, 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 no. <laughs> All right. Well, should we move on? Let's. Uh, we're going to move on to. Should we move on to Falcon? And Let's Winter go Soldier? on to Falcon and Winter Soldier episodes one and two, ladies and gentlemen. This is the the latest offering on Disney Plus from Marvel, following on from the overall success of WandaVision. Um, very different. Um different storytelling devices on play here um this is this follows on after the snap um from uh, or the yeah the snap back so the world is repopulated with all the people that disappeared um during infinity war and came back at end game i think it's about six weeks or something like that six episodes yeah yeah um, I'm talking about timelines. So this is this is oh, it's, right. it's only a few few weeks after after the fact, um, and we are picking up the characters of Falcon. Um, Sam Wilson is uh, his his normal name. He was in uh, Captain America: Winter Soldier as well as the the rest of the uh, Avengers movies, and yeah. of course the Winter Soldier, Sebastian Stan playing Bucky Barnes. Uh, Captain America's long lost best friend turned um, super villain for one uh, movie and then um, protagonized <laughs> going forwards. Kind of a useless Avenger ever after. Um, 
I think if any Avengers do have to shoot guns, it's been kind of useless. Um, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, you're shooting guns at Thanos. What is that going to do? Yeah, and there's this like, so should we should we should we do like episode one, then episode two, or just our general thoughts for the first two? What are I think it's just give a general impression because I have a feeling. You said mm. last week you had a feeling that your opinion was the diametric opposite of everybody else's, and you're going to go back and, and watch it again. Did you mm. have a chance to do that, or? I did. Yes, I have watched episode one twice. I've watched episode two once, and episode one. When I first watched it, I was bored shitless. The action sequences were attempts at trying to recreate what they did in Captain America: Winter Soldier, like particularly the feel of um, the tactical strike of a superhero on. Um, on a location, um, the 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 ferry where uh, the way that Winter Soldier opens up, um, but it never reaches those heights. It's never as thrilling because Falcon's kind of a boring character when you take Captain America away from it, or the Winter Soldier because their scenes in Captain America: Infinity uh, uh, Civil War they were cool because they had that good kind of old best friend, new best friend, butting heads, pseudo camaraderie sorts of things. And they, they were, they played well together. And that's what I wanted more of in this show. And they just, those two didn't share a scene in the first episode. And it just highlighted for me how disinterested I was to each of those individually. So boring. And it's setting up a different kind of storytelling. I said before the series launched that I have a feeling it's going to be a bit more like a Tom Clancy kind of thing with a bit more going on under the surface and certainly not the, the way that WandaVision started off as almost like a bizarrely David Lynchian kind of feel of a superhero thing. This definitely plays up the action and it's got some of that conspiracy slash anti-government kind of rhetoric sprinkled through it. I really didn't like the first episode because I didn't think that they established anything about the world. They It just showcased that I didn't care about the two main characters that the show is named after when they're on their own. They're kind of like there's this whole sequence where... Sam Wilson goes off and he's talking to his sister and there's a lot of drama and things going on about, about selling a boat and, or what was it like because I was blipped out and you kept on going. It's like, that's actually kind of an interesting idea. How does that affect brother and sister where, you know, age, ages change and stuff like that, but they didn't really go into it and it was kind of uninteresting and just annoying. And the same for the winter soldier where there's like, elements of him talking with his therapist about kind of writing wrongs and him trying to reach out, but always staying in the shadows for, for people he wronged as the brainwashed winter soldier. Again, really an interesting concept, but they, they don't really go into it or they don't present it in an interesting way that makes me genuinely empathize with either of the characters. And it's like, okay, come on, get on with it. This this is none of this stuff was really shown in the trailers beforehand. So obviously this isn't what they're hanging their hat on. This is prologue. So when episode two launched and came out, 
so much better because it actually gets those two characters together and we start seeing more of them butting heads and just dealing with the fact that there's been a newly named Captain America on the scene and how they're dealing with that and how they're trying to deal with um, being friends in a world where there is no longer the Captain America they both were best friends with for different periods of time suddenly the story and the show gets more vitality and life going forwards so i'm pos i'm hopeful it's an upswing for you huh yes so it's a bit yes. of an upswing for you yes, i definitely. i completely and utterly disagree with you and i actually kind of find it quite remarkable because you mm. kind of sound like those people who were saying oh one division so boring nothing happened like um this is doing in many ways exactly the same thing that one division was doing in a very different way Mm -hmm. But it's actually taking, which is quite remarkable. It's got less episodes in one division mm. to work with, but it's still taking it some time to set its scene, to tell us about these characters, to set up its story. Uh, I'm glad you didn't jump to the conclusion of going at shit one uh, mm. episode. In, but, well, I mean, you've got Disney Plus anyway. You were probably always going to watch, but like <laughs> some people might might know power after after one episode if they didn't like it. But for me, I I had none of those problems that you did. Uh, you know, I, said, I didn't. The problems I had with it didn't worry me anywhere near as much as it did you. Mm. Um, I found the acting scenes quite just fine. Mm -hmm. um, they were more interesting maybe than some of the action scenes in WandaVision, for example. Like at the end of WandaVision, it's quite dull because it's just sky beam, pew, 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 you know, lasers, lasers, magic lasers, you know, blah, 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 don't care, seen it. But mm. this is um, one of the maybe the more interesting parts of Sam is that he's not really super powered. He's more in the Tony Stark category in the sense he's got, you know, the suit which kind of makes him. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, he had to in the, in the action scene. The main action sequence I remember is in the the, the ravine chasing the mm. helicopter. I thought it was a really cool scene. I thought it was really well done for a television show. Um, goes to show that the line between TV and film for, for Disney and Marvel is isn't really there anymore. It did kind of remind me of Independence Day, though, I must say. Like, it was very yeah, yeah. Smith Independence Day. But <laughs> I found I mean, that quite an interesting and entertaining, interesting and entertaining opening to the show. And but as you say, if you'd ask me who is the least interesting Avenger, I think Sam would be in the conversation. Mm -hmm. And like I said, oh, Winter Soldier would probably be in there because, look, what did he do in Endgame? He shoots a machine gun at yeah. the soldiers. Like, I mean, and, you know, he's a, he's a super soldier, like, like, like Steve Rogers, like why isn't he like beating mm -hmm. the shit out of like you know bad guys? It's yeah. Um, but you're right, they've and I I've found them pretty pretty uninteresting in the Avengers. But then again, some might have said the same thing about Wonder and Vision in the sense that they hadn't really had a whole lot to do in mm. in, in the uh, Avengers films because they were so focused on particularly Iron Man and, and Captain America, um, and you know a few others. Um, they didn't really there's so many characters on screen it's hard to give them all screen time to do something cool and interesting mm. so they kind of had to make do with what they had didn't, i didn't um it didn't worry me at all that they were not on screen together and i didn't get any of that cool banter i actually really enjoyed the scenes with 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 um with falcon and his sister and mm -hmm. i think it's because i think i remember when when we had uh endgame come out one of the things i said i would love to see a tv show just about the blip mm. like but Blip is an incredible storytelling device that they've got sitting yeah. there, and I'm so excited for, that they're actually using it. They're actually using it. They're not actually just ignoring it like a fucking Consequences. idiot. Consequences. <laughs> like, 
I mean, I don't, like, what about the, you know, like I said, you're like, okay, your husband blips out of existence. You know, two years, you, you, you mourn for a year and a half. Six months later, you meet somebody new, you get married, you have pregnant, you get pregnant, you have a kid or whatever. All of a sudden, two years after that, boom, your husband exists again. And what a fucking awkward situation that would be. Like, yeah. are, you still, are you still married to that dude? Are you married to the second dude? Mm-hmm. Like, you, you probably still love the first dude. But you love a second, like the like the Helen Hunt situation in Castaway. Um, you know, um, I feel, what a fascinating story mm-hmm. to tell, and I'm really glad they're not telling that story yet. Um, <laughs> but they're telling stories about that, right? They're actually using that 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 event for some really interesting storylines. Yeah. Um, and the idea here that like he'd been blipped out of existence for five years, and the bank manager says to him, "You've got no proof of income for the last five years. I can't give you a, a loan." Uh, I mean, on the one hand, it's like he's a fucking Avenger. Yeah. Why wouldn't you give him a lunch? Like, I mean, um, but you know, there's also that really interesting line is like, did Stark pay you guys or anything like that? Mm. And he's like, no, 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 it didn't work like that. But probably more of that, I really like I think it sets up something that we are going to see moving through the series. So uh it didn't I wasn't bored at all. I I, I was not as intrigued as I was mm. with WandaVision. Um, but I was interested to see what they were going to do with the story. Um, and I enjoyed it even more during the second episode where they really started to, I mean, they're quickly tying some of those threads together. We saw some in, in the first episode into, into actual storylines in the second one. And I think if the, if WandaVision was about grief Mm. and mourning and regret, this show is about race. Bodwegian and Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I'm going to give a lot of credit here to um, an episode in Hollywood Reporter this week. Falcon mm-hmm. and the Winter Soldier uncovers Marvel's, uh, Marvel's original sin. Because God knows I don't mm-hmm. know enough about comic book lore to have joined mm-hmm. the dots like they did. And all of this comes, I think, largely from the introduction in episode two mm-hmm. um, of a super soldier, of the super soldier that uh, uh, Isaiah Bradley. Yes. He was an African-American super soldier mm-hmm. uh, who the United States government used in Korea where he met um, uh, he met uh, with a soldier, Bucky Barnes, and actually, depending who you ask, defeated him mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in, in, in the Korea, as part of a Korean war. Um, and, look, I'm not going to spoil it because I would encourage anybody who's listening or watching or both um, mm-hmm. to check it out on their own because it is – I think going to be worth watching. Um, uh, and there's a scene directly after that where they leave Isaiah Bradley's house. Don't want to spoil it again, but mm-hmm. you know the scene I'm talking about. They walk yes, out on the street absolutely. having a heated discussion and the thing happens. Mm. And that's not there by mistake. That's not insult- That's not no, accidental. That is pointed. That is that very is- pointed. And, and the way the people involved in that scene address Mm-hmm. what's going on and who they address mm-hmm. it to i think is the point um so i would if you, you mean you really gonna need to be really keen to go mm. and check out the article but the marvel marvel's original falcon and winter soldier uncovers marvel's original scene in the hollywood reporter if you are interested or you are watching a show well worth a read of that article it kind of puts it all into context and i think mm-hmm. from what we've seen in episode one and two this is going to set up as race is a major angle in this story. I am just worried 
um, just given Marvel's overall history of all of their movies and the TV shows to date, even the stuff that's not Disney Plus shows, there's a lot of things where they'll touch on these notions and these ideas and then three quarters of the way through, they just give it up to have that big action sequence, that big grand finale, and they forget about nuance. And well, that's you, one of, I one of the things. Yeah, and I really hope they don't because if they tell, if they keep these elements that we're talking about now as poignant key stones for the series, it can inform the action sequences, it can inform the storytelling, it can educate us, and it can just elevate everything up. You don't have to lose those elements to deliver good action. It can be part of the storytelling tool. I am. I just don't know if they're going to do it. I, because all evidence to the contrary, frankly, the closest that we've had is maybe um, Black Panther versus Killmonger and the way that fight ended. It, it, you're maybe. right. They don't have a great track record. I mean, yeah. any, but look, I am going to park the movies. I think movies mm. have a different expectation to mm. movies aren't long form storytelling. That's where television or streaming can can kind mm. of do. Mm. Um, and I feel like certainly WandaVision, while well, as overall we walked away going thumbs up, uh, that final episode was weak um, yep. and probably the weakest episode in the series. And mm. it was a very Marvel ending. It's sky beams, pew, 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 punch, mm -hmm. punch, punch, game over, see you yeah. later. Even then, though, like they did have some interesting elements in there, but they were still able to get away with. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what it is. Is a Kevin Feige directive or something going, there has to be a sky beam and a punch up in, in the final <laughs> finale of anything Marvel. It's like it's that's, Marvel's, that's Marvel's answer to Marvel. <laughs> so people turn up. They turn up with a sky beam and the fight. Um, but I, I'm with you. I hope they try and if, mm. whatever they do here, I hope they keep it consistent with the story mm. um, that they're setting up to tell. Mm. I think now the other element, interesting element in here is the fake Captain Marvel. Um, so Captain, Captain, America. Captain America, um, the fake Captain America played by Wyatt Russell here. Mm -hmm. Um, and he is essentially, uh, someone who's been handpicked by, I guess the ind indication is the U S government to, yep. to basically fill the, the boots of Steve Rogers and, and start carrying the shield and, you know, fight for truth, justice and the, uh, American way. Mm -hmm. Um, don't use that. That's a copyright. Um, and it's it, again. It, it sets it up interestingly. We get we see him for the start mm -hmm. in episode one, and we, he has an interesting role to play in episode two. And uh, I'm we we've also had the setup of the villains in the two episodes. The villains being the flag smashers, mm -hmm. who I don't know um, uh, if they're actually in comic book mm -hmm. or or not. It's kind of a dumb name, um, but they are. Um, there you go. They are. It, yeah, it seems because yeah, we've got the flag smashers. We had the the last minute uh, tease of the return of Zemo, and there was also a phone conversation um, about sort of like you stole my property with uh, after the after the heist with the flag smashers, and it seems like there might be a, a mysterious third party that is um, connected in some way, shape, or form. So. And then we, we still haven't had, um, uh, what's her name? Uh, 
yeah, Sharon Carter um, appear in the thing. And there's been a fair bit of uh, news about, like, she's going to be real badass. She's going to be hardcore. Uh, she's the great niece or something of um, uh, Agent Carter. So, you know, it's th- there's a lot still to introduce in this show properly and properly establish. It's just interesting that they're going for six episodes, like we said before. I I wonder if they're gonna try and squeeze too much in. Um, but like I said, the first episode fumbled it for me. Second episode much much stronger. Um, and interestingly, like Sam Wilson, uh, where is he? Anthony Mackey. I've I've tried watching him in a few things that are not him playing a Marvel character, like. He's okay in the Hurt Locker. He's okay in the Adjustment Bureau. Um, he was also in the second season of Altered Carbon. He's okay, but for some reason, he's never particularly charismatic. But there's, there seems to be some more connective tissue with him and Sam Wilson. He just comes a little bit more alive. It just just as a an actor portraying a character, he's just there. Just seems to be more life in him when he plays Sam Wilson. It's it's I, unusual. I would recommend his episode of Black Mirror, but you know, um, <laughs> I'm not going to go there. Um, you with me? I'm with you. I don't think much of him as an actor. Um, and interestingly, it is pretty apart from Steve Rogers, any other character in the MCU he seems to have any sort of chemistry with is mm. is Bucky Barnes. So um, yeah. it's a kind of a cool idea. Mm. Um, they're both fine. They both do what they do. White Russell is interesting. Yeah. Uh, Aaron, Aaron Kellyman as Carly Morgenthau, who's a gender bent version of Flag Smasher. I've just learned. Okay. Flag Smasher in the comic books from 1985 was Carl Morgenthau. So okay. Carly Morgenthau, can you know, see we're being, they're being diverse. Um, and Aaron Kellyman instantly, you look at her and you're like, you, you were in solo. And my goodness, it, you weren't the worst yeah. thing about that film, but you weren't good. She's going to be in the new Willow as well, new Willow series. Yeah, she gets around, but um, mm. I have a feeling this is just me going into prediction territory, which mm. we absolutely never did during uh, oh. Division. No, um, never. I don't think they're going to be quite the bad guys we think they are. I yeah, I I think that there's going to be a bait and switch. I think the, this this I my my theory of how this is going to be more of like an action espionage kind of thing with that controversial twist. Um, the fact that we've got we had that really quite nice, interesting kind of genuine introduction to the new Captain America, where he's in his old school locker room and he's just talking things through and talking with. I'm guessing it's his wife or girlfriend, and then his unit mate comes in, and it's two different sides to his thought process coming through. Um, I think we're going to see some interesting development with him and how his very heavy, I've been in the forces more than I'm that little guy from Brooklyn, I'm never going to forget that route playing off and seeing whether he falls more on the government side it becomes a bit more of a weapon or how how that plays into the flag smashes maybe we're going to end up being a bit more sympathetic towards the flag smashers 
and this is their way of kind of doing an an anti-captain america i think there's there's a lot of potential in this show and i'm looking forward to episode three i am too uh i feel like i mean yeah i i don't you see the vibe but there's there's something funny about the way they're portraying those villains um mm. um and I'm not sure that they're, they're quite as bad as we think they might be. So time will tell. Um, and then at the end, um, the bad guy who everyone thought was going to be, one of is going to be in it. Um, oh, Mephisto. Uh, Mephisto. It'll probably yeah. be him at the end. It'll be him at the end. Zemo be, was Mephisto all along. <laughs> wouldn't that be interesting if they actually did that? Like the one where no one actually thinks it's Mephisto. Go, oh, it was me all along. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, that would be an interesting one. I have, I've got to say, I am excited to see Daniel Brühl uh, come back because I think he's a good actor. I don't think he was given near enough to do when he was in Civil War. Um, so give him a, a meteor villain role. I think that he could potentially, particularly with um, the character that Baron Zemo has been in the comics and the way that they're kind of, they've, they kind of updated him for Captain, uh, Civil War, I think there's a lot of potential to make him a really intri intriguing, love to hate him villain in a way, not quite in the same kind of sexy, slightly sleazy way that Loki was, but he could end up being one of those intelligent, charismatic villains that you don't get very often in the MCU. And he's an actor who I think has got the acting chops to really deliver something quite special. So I'm looking what forward to seeing what we'll see where it goes. I think it's up on Saturday morning, Australian time. Uh, Friday night, I think. Late Friday, Friday night, night. Saturday, Friday night yeah. Saturday morning, Australian time. And mm. you can get it on um, the Disney Plus if you're prepared to pay for it. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Which we endorse. We don't endorse doing illegal things. No, we do, we do not. But if you are already subscribed to five other streaming channels, then I think you're paying enough. While we are talking, um, <laughs> uh, well, we actually got some rhubarb. Broden <laughs> says you get some real home light or light vibes from the new Captain America. And I got to say, I think you're on the money there. I can kind yeah. of see. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. It's not, he's not, it's a bit fishy. Something going mm. quite right about him. I think, um, um, I, I think you have to imagine the context the show takes place in. I mean, mm. I don't know when they were writing it, but, um, you know, the idea of patriotism mm. probably hasn't really given itself a very good name, mm. especially in the United States over the last few years, especially, I guess, in, in recent months where that probably didn't influence the, the show quite so much. But um, if you look at the, um, the Wikipedia entry on Flag Smashers, uh, whereas the red skull symbolizes Nazism, flag smasher symbolizes anti-patriotism. Mm. And if this is is this a show going to be about patriotism and the dark side of patriotism? Someone like a Homelander is Homelander actually patriot? I think Homelander is incredibly cynical. Um, <laughs> but uh, but you know, if it would be new Captain America turn out to be like Homelander, you, you could almost say that's the, mm. the dark side of patriotism. But I am with uh, Rhubarb Ronan, who's yep. saying that, um, that you're getting that Homelander vibe. I, I agree on that. That's a good call. Yeah, I, th I think so. And it, that, that thought process did actually make me remember a character that has only been name-checked once since his movie debut. And that was um, uh, Tim Roth's character from The Incredible Hulk, and how he was 
a Dijonor soldier and he got the super mm. soldier serum and he got really good, but he kind of fucked his brain up somewhere and he became the, the abomination. abomination. Yeah. And there's one like name check. I think it's uh, something like, um, I don't know. Um, I think it's what, what the fuck is his name? The, the general, uh, uh, general Ross. I think he says, I'll throw you in a hole with, um, with Blonsky or something like that. I'm kind of wondering if maybe we'll get a reference to that coming in. Maybe we'll see a little bit of the turning to the dark side for him and they might come back to that, that old thread a little bit, perhaps. It would be consistent. I just, uh, the, the actual, again, to go back to the article I was talking about earlier, mm. the inspiration behind some of the, the stuff that we've seen in the first two episodes was published by Marvel just after 9-11 in the early 2000s and has been out of print for over 10 years. So yeah. they, they are pulling some deep cuts in mm-hmm. this show that would not be out of the realms of possibility to go a deep cut in the MCU as well and, mm-hmm. and you know, have reference someone like Tim Roth's character, mm-hmm. who I thought was – I love Tim Roth. I really like him. Yeah, Should me we, too. Uh, before we move off superhero territory, have you seen yeah. the trailer for The Suicide Squad? I have. Not Suicide Squad. The Suicide Squad. The Suicide Squad. James Gunn's Suicide Squad. I have. Any brief, brief impressions? Looks like a James Gunn movie with DC characters. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I think it's. I mean, fine. that said, I I um, did give a caveat that the trailer for the suicide, original Suicide Squad looked shit hot. It looked yeah. badass. And yeah, and wild. it had the Queen soundtrack, and it was just awesome. And yeah, then the movie was trash. <laughs> Very, very bad. Um, so I liked it. I found, I think, I think the highlight of this, I think this could be John Cena's star making wrong. He got a lot of credit for, I haven't watched it, but um, the comedy Cock Blockers, um, where he's like a, a, a worried parent about sort of like, I think it was prom night for his kids and like two other families that he's friends with and they, they accidentally get caught up in a text chain where the kids are talking about how they're all going to lose their virginity. And apparently it's quite funny and he is particularly funny in it. Um, and yeah, what we see of him as, um, what, what's his fucking character's name? Um, Peacemaker. Uh, Peacemaker. Yeah. Um, he comes across as funny and his outfit looks dumb and stupid. And it's like, okay, I'm down for this. This looks funny and dumb and enjoyable. Uh, I should note that um, I noticed on Twitter tonight that James Gunn tweeted that um, John Cena has been doing all his interviews for the Suicide Squad in the costume for Peacemaker. And he ins- <laughs> James Gunn insists that he has not been asked to do it. <laughs> um, I don't know. I guess I really enjoyed his work in the his little his lines in the trailer look funny. Mm, yes. Um, so not getting my hopes up because mm-hmm. I've been I've been burnt before by, yeah. by this property. Um, but I liked the look of it. Mm-hmm. I I agree. I agree. I'm looking forward to to seeing that. And they're saying um, August fifth is apparently the release date for that one. We will in James we trust. Shall mm-hmm. we move on while we're talking big Hollywood movies? We we seen mm-hmm. well, you and I have seen a big Hollywood movie. Yes. If you're overseas, envious. We can see big Hollywood movies here currently. 
Um, we saw, I don't even remember the name of the film when I went and saw it, but it is Godzilla. Versus, like, I don't know, it's King Kong versus Godzilla or something. Godzilla um, versus Kong. Kong, yeah, that's yes. naturally. Um, <laughs> uh, just quietly, do you still have the chat bar on the side of your screen? Mine is screwed up. Uh, uh, I do, yes. Okay, so I, if I'm not indulging your comments, people, mm-hmm. if you're not, if you're talking about Airplane Two or some shit, and I don't say anything about it, uh, I've, I've, I've stopped that. <laughs> that is that appreciated. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I um, have no. Mine has crashed, so I can't mm-hmm. respond to your comments. So you're relying on that guy over there. So me, you know, me. Um, I don't pay anyway, attention so to much. <laughs> we uh, so Godzilla versus Kong. Mm. Um, now. Uh, this is the. Uh, this is the third, third movie. In the uh, in the Godzilla version, we don't do we count um, Skull Island in that? Uh, yes, technically. So it would be the fourth, fourth because it yeah. is a f- because it is a continuation of that particular screen con. Um, so yeah, this is the fourth fourth movie in the the Kaiju MonsterVerse movie. As they say, the synopsis says the epic next chapter in the cinematic monsterverse pits two of the greatest icons in motion picture history against one another: the fearsome Godzilla and the mighty Kong, with humanity caught in the balance. It's directed by Adam Wingard, who actually directed some very decent low-budget horror films mm-hmm. uh, back in the day. Stars Alexander Skarsgård, Millie Bobby Brown, uh, Rebecca Hall, who's one of my favorite actresses, Brian yep. Tyree Henry. And Kyle Chandler's in there for a bit. Demian Bashir, uh, Ronnie Chang, the Australian comedian, has yep. one scene. I've quite enjoyed seeing that. Um, I should straight away say that I didn't see the second Godzilla film. I kind of forgot there was a second Godzilla film. Uh, I saw the the um, the first one directed by what's his name Edwards. Um, yeah, Gareth Gareth Edwards, which, which was, was Monsters two point oh. Pretty much, and it starred, it starred uh, uh, Wanda and Quicksilver. Yes. Um, also known as Elizabeth Taylor, Elizabeth Olsen and uh, Aaron Taylor-Johnson, yes. um, the husband and wife, creepy. Yeah, um, same year that they were brother and sister. Um, <laughs> and that film was okay. Yeah. Um, kind of light on on the Godzilla action. Yeah. Um, Someone forgot to tell Gareth Edwards he had a special effects budget this time. Yeah. Uh, I guess there was one in the middle. Was it Godzilla King of Monsters? So there's Godzilla, Godzilla King of Monsters, um, Kong Skull Island, and then Godzilla vs. Kong. So I missed the second Godzilla film. Yes. Um, I, I just forgot it happened. I, I must have missed the memo. Um, <laughs> I did see Skull Island, and I didn't like it. Um, and that was a the fact I missed the second Godzilla film was a bit of a problem, at least for me, early. There are a number of characters in this film who I imagine were established in that film and relationships and some very loose storylines and plot elements were established in the second Godzilla film. Um, So the idea of Monarch, um, Millie Bobby Brown's character was established in that film, Kyle Mm -hmm. Chandler, I guess. Yes. His character was established in that film. So instantly I was like the people were talking to each other in a way which was like, this has previously been established. You mm-hmm. should know what Monarch is. You should know who Millie Bobby Brown is. You should know who Kyle Chandler is. Yeah. We're not going to bother explaining it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was a little bit on the back foot initially with that. So if you are heading into this picture or thinking of going to see it, mm-hmm. 
just be aware of that. Just be aware of it if you yeah. haven't seen the previous films. I don't think Kong Skull Island, there was one or two mentions in there like that might have been uh, useful but really not important. But if you haven't seen yeah. the previous two Godzilla films, uh, particularly the second one, um, mm-hmm. you're probably going to be on the back foot like me. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if you necessarily mean if you want to see it that bad, maybe check out King of Monsters. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's uh, I think that's very very fair. But at the same time, even I've watched it, and Godzilla King of Monsters is a guilty pleasure movie for me. It's dumb. It's just big action. It's it's enjoyable entertainment and a quintessential blockbuster fare. There's no brains behind it whatsoever. Um, I'm not making. A, I didn't make a call not to see it. I just forgot it happened. Yeah, no. Nah. But um, it's even even watching it then coming into godzilla versus kong it kind of feels like you're missing a chunk and particularly the way that the opening credits are it kind of plays all this footage lots of footage of godzilla fighting other kaiju which we've had two other movies where he has fought multiple other kaiju and then it looks like it's kind of building up like um, a tournament table with a winner proceeding on. And then it comes to Kong and it just kind of flashes to him just being the contender against Godzilla. And you s- briefly see these other fights that he's apparently had. And it's like, well, not really, because we saw him fight some some of those creatures back in the Vietnam War. And we haven't seen him since. So it feels like you're just missing this big chunk on the other side. And then it's like, okay, you know what? Suspension of disbelief. They're fighting. Fine. Okay. But even then, it's still kind of... Did I miss something? That bothered me. Um, I'm not a massive fan of this kind of film. I think it's fair to Mm. say... I think a few times now you've said, Star Wars, you're just not interested anymore. They're not making (laughs) stories for you anymore. And you're okay with that because they may be targeting a younger audience or a different audience, but you've just recognized it's just not for you anymore, really. Yeah. You'll probably watch them out of intellectual curiosity. Yeah. But you're not going to be lining up around the block to see whatever mm-hmm. it is new that they come up with eventually. And I think it's fair to say that this film, for films like these, particularly this one, fall into that category for me in the sense that I don't think I've ever really been a big fan of monster movies, unless they're really, really awful. Um, <laughs> if they're really awful and they're bad, so bad they're good, that, mm. that may be a little bit more in my in my, my, uh, in my wheelhouse. Mm. Um, a film where two giant CGI creations just punch each other in the face for 20 minutes and they call that a finale, mm. generally speaking, doesn't interest me very much. I like Pacific Rim. A bit. I mean, that's probably Guillermo del Toro's inference there. He does mm-hmm. does some yeah, slightly does different things. Uh, Kong Skull Island was just a CGI shit fest. Original Godzilla. Like I said, Gareth Edwards forgot he had a special effects budget, but in the end, it was a CGI shit fest. Um, so people, oh my god, I get to see giant monsters punching each other in the face, and for me, it's a little bit my initial reaction every time. It's like, who the fuck cares? You've seen that before. You've seen that so many times before. How is that just because they're different monsters' skins this time? 
how is that more interesting than last time? And how is this different to Pacific Rim, really? You're poking holes thing. into every Legend of Zelda move game. Stop it. <laughs> so that's kind of my initial reaction to most of these things. Is like, oh, why should I care? It's not even a guy in a rubber suit anymore. You can't even appreciate the physical performance. Um, so, but this one was, I was, apart from an initial, a bit like you, I was a bit off, put off, off my game a little bit. I was a little bit disoriented by the story because it wasn't giving me much. It was assuming a lot of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, which was a bit surprising. Um, if you're seeing film 20 in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, film 20 in phase three of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I think you can assume a fair amount of knowledge. Mm. You know, a miss, maybe not so much. But initially, once I got past that, this is potentially one of the better monster movies I've seen in in recent years. I would put it in category with a film like Pacific Rim is trying to do something a little bit more interesting and recognizing some of the weaknesses that these films suffer from. Mm. In a sense, is why should I give a shit mm-hmm. about who wins the fight? Mm-hmm. Don't care. Mm-hmm. Uh, human characters are generally, you know, two-dimensional, mm-hmm. you know, just there, not doing anything. Yeah. Um, and those two things in particular, and this is a story, you know, it's, it's really just a weight until the final 20 minutes when you get to see the monsters fight, which is what you paid your 15 bucks. Mm. Um, I think Justin um, Wingard, uh, Adam Wingard, sorry, Adam. and the writers who are Eric Pearson, Max Borenstein, and uh, Zach Shields mm-hmm. um, have come up with something a little bit different here. Mm. Uh, for starters, some of the human characters are actually genuinely very interesting, particularly Bobby, Millie Bobby Brown is r- incredibly watchable for me. Mm-hmm. Um, the story basically goes in two different directions. We have two groups uh, here. We have Alexander Skarsgård, Rebecca Hall, and her daughter who can sign language King Kong. They are taking King Kong to oh, – I won't spoil it. They're, do, they're, they're doing one thing, and we're at the same time we have Millie Bobby Brown, uh, Julian Dennison from Deadpool 2, mm-hmm. and Brian Tyree Henry doing a second sort of um, – following a second sort of a B story – they're doing their own thing and they do join together at the end mm. where on the one hand i can very easily see and some people have said when the b stories on on camera they really lost interest um i guess those are the people who are very interested in cgi monsters <laughs> um that was not i can definitely see how that could have been the case mm. but i found particularly merely bobby brown and to a lesser extent julian dennison's characters and their chemistry together on screen so watchable and amusing and interesting that i i was like no i'm quite happy following these guys these guys are the most interesting characters in the film whereas you're talking cardboard cutouts alexander skarsgård was absolutely one of those he's he's proven that he can actually perform from time to time and he He's kind of wasted here, and it's like, okay, wait, what is his character? He's he's the author of a book about talking about going into the Hollow Earth, and and then when the story needs, he can pilot a really advanced ship. Yeah, like a helicopter, what? hovercraft. Yeah, yeah. Any gravity <laughs> thing. Who who? What is this guy? He is Johnny. Whatever. Everybody. <sighs> it's what the plot needs him to be. Yeah. Um, Rebecca Hall, like I said, I, I think she's actually a very, very fine actress. Um, mm-hmm. uh, she's okay 
think she's mm-hmm. not given a lot of work to do with here, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of work to do here that's worth mentioning. But they their, their, their plot line has the advantage of having the CGI monster fights mm-hmm. um, and the cool explosions. So, mm-hmm. you know, that'll keep people happy on that side. But I um, instantly by having that second sort of plot line where you had some funny, interesting, entertaining, likeable characters instantly made me far more interested in what the story had to say. It, I wasn't really interested in what they were doing. I was just interested in watching them and enjoying them. Millie yeah. Bobby Brown is a serious talent. She like, is going to be a, a massive star. Yeah. Like I liked the first season of Stranger Things. I haven't been on the stomach the other seasons anywhere near as much. Um, <laughs> but really didn't have – she was kind of one note in, in Stranger Things. So she was good, but she mm. didn't get a lot to do. She kind of – she just played – was it 11? Um, yeah. And she didn't get a lot of range to play with in that one. Mm. But so it was so fun to see her. This is, I think, the first thing I've seen here in apart from that. Um, to actually get to see some, some actually play a really goofy, intelligent, funny character. So she mm. can do comedy. She can do action. She can do drama. She's going to be a massive, massive star. Mm. Um, if she continues to to. to seems to want to continue acting. Mm-hmm. Um, if she wants to continue down this path, I think she'll do exceeding well. And Julian Dennison, um, look, I think he's going to get stuck playing comic relief characters, but he does yeah. it very well. Yeah, he he. It, it just comes so naturally to him. There's there's part of me when I when I watch him do stuff, I kind of think there's there's hints of a little bit of Belushi in him, kind of that that lovable disaster that you just can't help but kind of root for all the time like everything that um belushi did he was like this this wonderful energy and he was even though he was kind of a shithead in deadpool 2 it's still kind of i still kind of wanted to root for him and uh, yeah i could see but maybe if you've been shocking comedy legends mm. john candy yeah yeah, and, you know, the lovable underdog. Mm. Um, and I mean, I, I I hope for better for him for his career. Maybe yeah. maybe a bit more, maybe a bit more of a Jonah Hill path. You know, where yeah. he, he a couple of serious roles thrown in. Yeah, but he was like, so I'm sorry, I'm labouring the point, people, but mm. I really enjoyed their 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 arc, and it was mm. far and away the most enjoyable part of a film for me. Um, um. So uh, is the uh, Fox, sorry, uh, for, he, our friend Fox Pixar Media is back asking about the Warner Brothers logo. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if it was it. Is this Warner Brothers? I don't think it is, is it? It is it Warner is, Brothers, yeah. yes, because um, this has had a lot of people kind of uh, boycotting it, vetoing it because they want to release the air cut. Uh, uh, oh, release well, the air cut of, the, of Suicide Squad. And it's like, eh, it's probably not going to happen. Um, uh, whatever. What I mean, one I guess the other angle I really enjoyed on this was it kind of incorporated another classic story mm. into um, into you know the, the iconic characters, mm. uh, and that was a journey to the center of the earth. Mm. Um, you know, which is, is that a, a Edgar Rice Burroughs, the Jules Verne, yes, a Jules Verne, um, yes. yeah, um, the classic Jules Verne story, which we haven't seen on camera since the Brendan Fraser film. But it was basically, yeah. you know, like it was basically Journey to the Center of the Earth starring King Kong. Yeah, um, that's 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 the point. There's there's that kind of third storyline of over the course of um, Godzilla, King of Monsters, Kong Skull Island, and this movie that 
notion and the establishment and development of the legitimate conspiracy theory that is out there over hollow earth they actually flesh it out in actually an interesting way and they use that as, a, as quite a cool launching point as to explaining the why and everything for these kaiju monsters which i really appreciate and thinking you hearing you talk about the kind of like plot a and plot b it made me think one of the reasons why I think I, I really just enjoy this is because it's kind of what Star Wars did in the Empire Strikes Back, where they split the party and you just had that chance to just kind of high, jump from highlight to highlight to highlight. And you had just these wonderful, um, you know, the character development of Han Solo and Leia, the, the, the special effects sequences of Luke uh, training. And it's all like, okay. It, there's obviously more law and kind of artistry, I suppose, in in the, in the Star Wars comparatively. But then you've got sort of like the um, the other bits, and you can jump from one to another to another. And I think that's where this movie succeeds in that it does it jumps around from one one storyline to another. It never overstays its welcome too long in each one. Um, and kind of when it's it classic, does it's a classic so i gotta yeah. say it's a classic storytelling trope yeah um i think the best star trek movies do the same thing let's look mm. at first contact what does it do there we have picard's story on the enterprise and we have Riker's story down on earth and you know they're working towards a similar goal but from different angles um or star trek 4 or you know it's, it's not unusual. I mean, I, I know it's something I've always noticed in the Trek films that when you split the crew, you know, and tell two different stories at the same time, when it's done well, mm -hmm. is, is when they do their best work. Um, yeah. But it's not a new, it's not a, 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 you know, is there anything new in the world of film? I mean, what do they say? There's seven actual stories in the world. Yeah. Um, so uh, you're right. It, it really helps you from not getting bored quickly, right? You know, we need to take a break. We just had a massive fight scene between Kong and Godzilla. Let's transition back to something a little bit more low-key for a little while mm. the other thing that i liked about this movie is it was the first time where we actually really kind of got to see the animalistic pros and cons of each of the characters um go away archimedes i'm talking um you know the the first time where kong and godzilla clash kong is stuck on a boat and Godzilla, this big lizard that has been shown repeatedly, is a very good swimmer. And it's like, yeah, this is like very much one one is at a severe handicap. But the way that they utilize the the apish element of uh, Kong and him kind of pounding his chest and jumping from from one boat to another and things like that and trying to use weapons, it's. Um, it's not something that we've seen in other kaiju movies because so often in recent times, they've been just complete and utter freaks of nature that we've never seen before. And there's like weird extensions and there's no familiarity with an animal that everyone has an idea of how they move, how they, how they react in the real world. Seeing just a giant ape being a bit more primitive thought and kind of a bit more strategic, particularly in the final seat where they're fighting in Tokyo and him using the, the terrain to, to try and gain, regain an advantage and using a weapon. Fuck's sake. What? We're now welcoming our uh, third host tonight. That is Archimedes. Jesus. 
Archimedes has opinions. Yes, apparently. I need to talk about Kong. Um, it's it was it was a great scene to see. Uh, you know, Kong have to fight at a distinct disadvantage. Mm. Um, of, of not being able to swim and have to fight an, an amphibious creature in Godzilla. Yeah. Um, I think this film follows fails for me on a on the Dell test. My friend Dell, mm. who if anything fails to meet actually fails the laws of physics, mm-hmm. he's out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so if he saw gravity and they fly the space shuttle from 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 the American space station to be shown in space, uh, space shuttle can't do that. So I'm out. Um, <laughs> there are a few of those where Godzilla somehow managed to swim from Antarctica to Hong Kong in about 10 minutes. Hollow <laughs> Earth. Um, they didn't mention that. They wouldn't have explained it. Um, they explained where, it in Godzilla King of Monsters. So it's, it's in, a, um, it's in the comic books. If you haven't read the kids, if you watch the cartoon no. and read the comic books backwards and held them up to the light on a Thursday, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> There's also a thing where Millie Bobby Brown and her crew uh, travel to Hong Kong via some sort of underground railway thing. It's a hypertrain? Um, something, hyperloop kind of thing, and it travels mm-hmm. at like six, 700 kilometers an hour, mm-hmm. and it's designed for freight, Yeah, not passengers. No, they would be... <laughs> They would have been Least. eviscerated! Yes. <laughs> that kind of slows down. If you slow down yes. from 600 kilometers an hour... Uh, we have a so we have, we have a fourth host, I think now. Uh, I think our fourth host might have joined us. No, he in, in typical cat fashion is. I want to come in, open the door. Mm, I Maybe know. I don't. No. Um, the, the Brexit of cats. Uh, they're going to keep scratching at the door until we can get Lee go outside. <laughs> they don't want to leave. Um, what are we going to do? So uh, yeah, if you if you were in a a, a hyperloop vehicle that was not designed for passengers with no seatbelts. No. <laughs> If the idea there was a, such a thing as inertia, I'm not a scientist, but that's a thing, right? Um, so yeah, it was um, it was very amusing that they just sort of thought, well, no one's going to pay attention to that, and and they probably won't, except for freaks like me, yeah. who also sat there thinking, my goodness, a lot of people died in this film. Yeah, yeah. Like, all those yeah. people on the boats that Godzilla takes out, there are thousands of people on those boats, and he just blows the hell them back. Yeah, oh, there's another there's another three thousand people. And then, of course, in the classic big fight scene between the two of them, which mm-hmm. take place in a Southeast Asian city, mm-hmm. I say, spoil it. I don't think I'm spoiling a lot. Here. It's Hong Kong. Wasn't it very interesting that it was Hong Kong and not Tokyo? Mm. I wonder where the money for the film came from. <laughs> now, uh, as as a side note, that the the whole sequence in Hong Kong. And the fact that there's a, a shot of so like buildings falling down. It's in the trailer. Buildings falling down and people panicking and running. And they go into kaiju um, shelters. It's like, are they trying to gear up to to bring this into Pacific Rim kind of thing as well? Because that is part and parcel of Pacific Rim. That kind of like kaiju shelter. The way that and and spoilers i guess even though it's kind of out there for the twist villain um it three two one mecha godzilla is like okay it's being piloted or they attempt to get it that was very that was very very much like pacific rim wasn't it yeah i'm kind of looking at that and going okay are they gonna if, if and when they do another one of these monsterverse movies are they gonna go all right 
one brain isn't enough. We need two. And suddenly you've got the pilot system from Pacific Rim. It's like, okay, that could be kind of cool long form. Here's how you weave in a, a totally different universe slowly into one that's making a little bit more money for us. Was Pacific Rim owned by uh, Warner as well? Pacific Rim was Warner Brothers and uh, Legendary Pictures, which also did this. So, yeah. So, yeah, you could tie them into the same universe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I would not be surprised because I definitely got a vibe from this that this is a a shared universe kind of. I, kind yeah. of, I mean, everybody wants a shared universe now. We've got DC have the sort of got theirs and MCU, obviously. Uh, Universal tried very hard with their dark universe thing with the mummy and they'd set it up all the future movies and I think that's dead now. Um, that it's, um, it's been reimagined under the Bloomhouse banner because of the success of the Invisible Man with Elizabeth Moss, which is fantastic. It's, it's um, it, look, I, I'm not opposed to them. I like, I mm. liked the idea when Marvel came up with it, and I like the idea now. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm not opposed to that. That would be that would be an interesting angle for when it's take. done well. If it's done well, and it's rarely done well. Yeah. Um, we have a request from Miss Foxy B to. Mm -hmm. Uh, get some some Archimedes action. There he is. There he is. There's the big man himself. Um, I forgot. There you go. Currently lamenting the success of the um, <laughs> dark universe. <laughs> I mean, he's a cat as well, Miss Foxy V. But uh, Charles decided. The cat is outside. Charles did not want to make an appearance this evening. Um, he's gone back to his trailer. We, the, our budget, we can't afford to actually put him on screen. We can talk about him three more times, I think. <laughs> then we have to pay him. Yeah, then we have to pay him. <laughs> we get, then he gets residuals, and it's a big thing. Oh, and God, lawyers. The paperwork, the legislation. <sighs> yeah, uh, children on set. It's just, mm -hmm. it's 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 a whole twilight They, they zone say you never work with children and animals. But here we are. I know it is, it is rude, Foxy. It is like they, you know, um, Charles should be working for scale considering all we've done for him in his career. Yeah, <laughs> um, so I, I surprisingly enjoyed it. I didn't hate it, I enjoyed it enough. Like, I was never really very engaged in the film, I didn't really care. I think you're supposed to care about Kong, he certainly is portrayed as the more sympathetic of the two monsters. Yes. I suspect someone else will get a lot more out of that than mm -hmm. me. Like I said, I'm being really upfront here. Going, this is not the kind of film I would normally enjoy and not the kind of film I would normally pay to see. Mm. Um, but it's done pretty well. It's done yeah. pretty well. I reckon I reckon if you like monster movies, if you like any of it, if you like Kong Rock Skull Island, you like the Godzilla films, mm -hmm. if you like the Pacific, if you really like the Pacific Rim films, this is definitely one you should put on your list. You'll enjoy it, I think. Yeah, and it, they, it seems like every time they come out with one of these monsterverse movies they get a little bit more ballsy and you're slowly but surely losing those typical like mid 2000s early 2010s where there'd be this big monster and we just it would be always in darkness or in heavy rain to because they weren't entirely confident on how it looked when you shone a light on it. So many of the fight sequences are in daylight fighting. They've got weather effects going around them. They're underwater, they're wrestling, and then they're in brightly lit cities at night and things like that. And they they look cool and they're, they're utilizing them. And there's that slight element of like a, a cartoony 
nature to them but it's never too distracting it's not photorealistic you're not getting into the uncanny valley either it's like okay they're every time they're getting a little bit more confident on how to actually show off the monsters uh, miss foxy b why did i go then if i don't normally pay to see these films <laughs> i went because i care about my audience i care about you i watch them so you don't have to you hear that um, all the other audience members he's got favoritism for miss foxy it's not uh, fair all, all not our fair audience, everybody <laughs> equally uh, it's it's i think this show is more fun when, when George and I have seen the same thing and we can actually compare notes. Yeah. Otherwise, you would, got, you would get George talking about what he thinks about Godzilla versus Kong for, for 10, 15 minutes. And, and I might ask I this documentary. <laughs> and like, I'm, if I haven't actually seen it, then I can't really contribute to the conversation. I'd be sitting here thinking, I'm not going to see it because I don't like monster movies. So mm-hmm. it's what a good film reviewer does. Normally, we'd be getting these tickets for free. And if anybody watching would like to give us money tickets for free, we will take them. We are for sale. Yes, we we have never shied away from being for sale. Uh, so that's why I went. I went to it would be something. It was something we agreed we were going to. Um, we were going to compare notes on this weekend, and I feel like it, it's it provides a bit of yin and yang here because this is definitely obviously the kind of film that George normally would enjoy. Um, being a monster movie fan, whereas me, I'm not really a big fan of this kind of film. So. You know, people who all our bots all around the world and in Hollow Earth, um, who, who choose the whole new market for us, they <laughs> they uh get to hear both sides of a coin from, from different types of now, people who enjoy different kinds of films. As a side question, here you said you don't really like monster movies. What about kind of things like The Babadook and um, those more kind of humanized? creature features like consider them psychological horror i mean the babadook wasn't really a monster movie it was a film about grief yeah, um fucking great. <laughs> fucking great. i would say any a monster movie i did like which nobody else liked was a film called colossal so good so good a lot of people kind of went into that expecting it's one of those films mm. where you like they go in expecting one thing mm. and then a director uh who has the cool name of nacho vigalando he switched them. He gave me what they thought they were getting a monster yeah. movie, but they and they kind of did, but they got they did, something very, kind of very, very different. And it's a wonderful movie. If you, it's my favorite mm-hmm. Anne Hathaway role, um, yeah. and I don't like Anne Hathaway because I think she plays the same character every time. And Jason Sudeikis um, does really well. Jason Sudeikis well. plays so much against type in that film. Um, so if you're talking about monster films, I actually enjoy Colossal would be one of them because it's not about the monsters. It's mm. about the people. And mm. I'm, I'm, I, that's, that's my disconnect from these kind of films is why should I care about a giant CGI monster? It doesn't really exist. Um, and you, know, you, you really need to work to give me a reason to care about a CGI character. Uh, yeah. And it, it can be done. It has been done. But it's rarely in a film like Kong, you're not going to waste a lot of time. Kong versus Godzilla, you waste a lot of time on me getting me to care about the characters because 99% of people turning up to watch it, they want to see the, the punch up, right? Mm. I mean, especially when you think about um, the other recent, um, I say in quotation marks, Kong that we got, which was Peter Jackson's King Kong. And he invested a lot of time in essentially making King Kong the main character and trying to tell the story kind of from his perspective. He was the most 
humanized Kong we've seen in a very long time. And a lot of people kind of felt creeped out by it in the end. It's like, oh, the, the... I liked that film. I liked that film a lot. Me too. Me too. I thought it was a really, really nice alternative take on just the depiction of the character of Kong. Um, but the mass audience were just kind of going, they went, oh, they went they, yeah. Interesting. Kyle Chandler was in that as well. Um, different film, but uh, the same version of King Kong, I think. Um, mm. Anyway, so that's that's. I mean, I like I like monster movie. Like I like horror films. Mm. But to me, again, like if you had a horror film, it's just about the actual monster. That's not very interesting. I, I would say a film like I, I know a lot of people hated it, but Midsummer, um, mm. or uh, what was the one of Tony Collette, um, Hereditary. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, well, again, a lot of people hated that. Um, <laughs> Uh, I really enjoyed Colossus, not a horror film, but that's a very different kind of. But again, all the, I think the connection between those films is it's the human characters that are the most mm. interesting part of those stories. The monster is just the, the what do you call it, almost the thing that drives the story so, along. Yeah. So realistically, what we need is them to do what the MCU have done with superhero movies, but they've just dressed them up as other things. So the next movie is Godzilla and Kong road trip movie, buddy cop road trip movie. I think, think road trip, but like a college road trip. Sort of a sort of a, uh, a Porky's film starring Kaiju's. <laughs> you just want every movie to be some variation of Porky's. Porky's, in Porky's space. makes everything better. It makes everything better. Uh, um, I think that sums up King Kong. Kong. <laughs> I think if we go, once we get some Porky segment of the show, yes, it's time to move on. I kind of feel um, like you we want to, to somehow get Porky's as a chain movie at some point. <laughs> I think I think so. I actually actually want to put that on my list for the throwback because that's a film you couldn't make today. Um, no, you, you could, could not. not. Can All I right. talk quickly about Flight of Dragons? You can. You can talk about Flight of Dragons. This is going to be brief for people who are watching or listening and you're thinking, my goodness, this is getting long. I promise it to one of our listeners who I'm not sure is listening this week. Uh, or watching this week, um, maybe I'll watch later, maybe I'll never watch again. But I said I'd do it and I did it. So if you're listening as a podcast version and you think, Why should I watch? If you tune in and watch, you pop a comment in the chat saying, mm-hmm. Hey, why don't you talk about blah? We might just do it. Yeah, um, you pop it on the Facebook group, we might just do it. So if you're listening at home and you don't, if 7 30. Uh, Australian time works out to 1 a.m. next Thursday, wherever you live. Um, you, know, you can pop it on the Facebook page, get in touch if it's one of the ways George talked about at the start of the podcast. We may well just watch your suggestion and give you our thoughts on it. And you know what? Like, it can be punishment, right? Like, it could be a punishing kind of thing. And let me tell you, Flight of the Dragons, this was not easy going. It's hard animation to right. watch, isn't it? But Flight of Dragons, not Flight of the Dragons. I get the title right. It's it's it, it's weird actually because I can see the appeal at the same time as really not enjoying it. <laughs> it's it's so dated. It's it's really really hard to just watch, isn't it? Just the the way that characters are animated and the way that the story is told. It's sort of like okay, this is a lot of lore that they're giving me, and I don't know how it all ties together and. Whew, this is an ugly movie to watch. <laughs> it's um, we're well, right. It certainly looks. It's a very dated style of uh, of animation, and in a way that appealed to me because it was kind of nostalgic. 
It kind of reminded me of um of the kind of animations I used to watch when I was a kid. Um and on TV. Um there was a cartoon that my dad bought me a VHS copy of called Captain Future. Um oh. maybe slightly better animation instead of Japanese animation as opposed to whatever the fuck this is. Um uh, so Flight of Dragons, a young boss and rider goes back in time into an era where wizards and dragon reign and science is just barely known. Uh, but voice cast includes people like James L. Jones, John Ritter, Harry Morgan, who you're probably going to know as the Colonel, I think, in MASH. He was in MASH anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I never watched MASH. Uh, so Colonel Sherman Potter, Colonel Potter in, in MASH, um, and Larry Storch from F Troop, um, and, and maybe some other people in here will know. Um, mm, so... <laughs> um, it's an interesting story, and the funny thing is, I could see myself if I'd encountered this as a young kid. I think I would have really, really liked this. I think this would have mm. really appealed to me because it's kind of that mashup of science versus fantasy in sort of a nineteen eighty-two kind of way. Mm. Uh, Stan said, uh, "Our protagonist um, who is um, Peter, I think." Yes. Um, and he is basically a scientist who plays Dungeons and Dragons. So you watch out. You can be playing Dungeons and Dragons. You can be transported back in time. I saw it in the movies. It can happen. Um, it can happen. Uh, <laughs> somehow gets transported back to East Dragon Age um, to help fight evil things. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sorry. Oh, I, wasn't really, I, I wasn't really paying attention. It was difficult. <laughs> Um, and his, his superpower, aside from being turned into a dragon at certain points in the story, is his knowledge of science. And the fact that he has this, he uses his intelligence on a number of occasions to actually get them out of certain situations and sort of move the plot forward. Mm -hmm. um, which is an interesting little angle, right? It's like basically telling people being smart is kind of a valuable skill. Yeah. Um, you know, you, your brain can actually help you being a smart guy. You're gonna actually, apart from getting you beat up at school, um, <laughs> yeah. he's, he's actually gonna. In case you ever get sucked back in time, you're gonna be set, bro. Um, but it, it actually is um, selling the 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 um, the benefits or, or the, of um, the virtue of being a smart guy and having some having some knowledge and understanding how your world works in mm -hmm. a, obviously in a very fantastic setting with dragons and shit in it. I think that would have really appealed to me when I was about 10. Mm -hmm. um, not so much at 32. Um, did I get that one through? Yeah, that'll do. Um, <laughs> My silence is judging you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so it was it one of the things that bothered me watching it now was obviously it's it's obviously targeted at children so mm. that side of things made it hard to watch i don't have a nostalgic connection to it i think it was caro kitty who was our user last week who yeah, asked for it um who they seemed to think it was one of their they said it was one of their favorite videos or shows when they were a kid mm -hmm. maybe they've got a real strong nostalgic connection to it and if i had that nostalgic connection to it maybe that would have made it a Mm. A more watch for me, but I guess the thing that actually really hurt it for me was the mm. animation, the way the characters were actually drawn. Mm. Um, one of the things you can learn by reading the trivia of this, and I probably shouldn't have read it before I watched it because once I saw it, I couldn't unsee it. 
um, <laughs> is that the broadcast of a film in Israel in the early 90s was disrupted and discontinued. It was later announced that it was due to a complaint received by the Israeli Brass Broadcasting Authority, its government national broadcaster, that some of the characters resemble anti-Semitic imagery. It hasn't been broadcast on the Israeli national broadcast since. And we talked a bit about this last week. I'm reasonably familiar with the history of the Third Reich because mm-hmm. um, I have a degree in history and that's completely that's worthless. And reason never look under the floorboards. You can all point and laugh now. Um, <laughs> and so I'm, I'm reasonably familiar with how that, what that's talking about. And once I actually saw, read that, I'm like, oh, oh, dear. They really are. They really, really are. They really do look like the kind of things you would have seen published in a, a very anti-Semitic um, Nazi newspaper in the 1930s or 40s. Um, and or even today, if you happen to venture into some of the unseemly corners of the internet, mm-hmm. um, and you're like, oh, this is really hard to watch now <laughs> because uh, the main character, uh, one of the main characters, uh, Arag, I think he's the, the green wizard, Arag, yes. Um, uh, he has a very large nose, um, and not like a think doctor, not don't think Dr. Elephant. In, in Astro Boy, but a long, crooked nose. Um, yeah. And, again, that's a very, very common depiction in anti-Semitic literature of, of, of Jewish people. It's, it's, and, um, and you're like, that made me very uncomfortable. And I'm people watch the show be like, hey, you're always on about, you know, you people are, I think I'm some kind of fucking anti-woke person. But I'm like, that has very strong historical connotations yes. I, uh, and there are other kids i've seen where uh they were fighting off a, a bunch of i don't know what there's some sort of creatures they kind of looked a little bit like rats oh yes uh, and again they had the same kind of mm. you know uh nose sort of a, their face structure again was very reminiscent of, of, of the kind of things we're talking about uh mm. there anti-semitic depictions of of, of of jewish people and i was like it made it difficult to watch. <laughs> I wonder if I might have thought of it if I hadn't had that pointed out to me beforehand. And now I'll put it in your brain, dear listener. So <laughs> don't at me. Um, you just ruined it for everyone. I have to imagine it was accidental. Yeah. Um, I don't know where this was actually animated. Like I know a lot of um, a lot of animation work was offshore back in the day to. Uh, other countries in, in Southeast Asia in particular. I think The Simpsons was originally animated in South Korea, if I'm not mistaken. Um, there's a lot of Japanese names in the art department uh, and that kind of the animation department is all Japanese names. Mm-hmm. So um, that might give it a slight out in the sense that mm-hmm. Japan is not a country with a grand tradition of anti-Semitism. Mm. And they may not have been familiar with what they what their their, their drawings look like um mm. but it made it hard to watch you know like even if you see something that's in there that's not even intentional right completely unintentional but you know it's like, like when you go to japan yeah, and you'll go to japan one day mm-hmm. and you wander around tokyo and there are buildings with swastikas on the sign at the front like or on sign or on like lanterns at the front of a whole bunch of swastikas on lanterns and you're like mm. I know what that means here, but it still makes it a little bit hard to watch. Look at 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the the, the reappropriation of symbology. Um, it's it's fascinating how it has changed things. Um, it's yeah, a, even, it's just pop, you can't not think it because we've yeah. just had it hard coded into us. And obviously, I am not saying you shouldn't use that symbol in Japan. It means something completely different, and mm-hmm. it's a different culture, and yada yada yada. I'm just saying that maybe they don't necessarily make the same connection to it that we do. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, that made it hard to watch on edition. On top of the fact it was already hard to watch, as you said, it was dated. It's aimed at children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I made it probably an hour, 20 minutes into it before I said, I think I've had enough. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's fair. But I did it. I did it, peoples. Um, well so done. Well done. You, if you want to be part of it, if you want your favorite thing, mm-hmm. uh, put through a ringer. Yes. That is the armchair producers. Get on board. <laughs> yeah. I am just going to quickly talk about um, uh, Netflix's new show, The uh, Irregulars. I've only watched one episode, so I'll be very quick. And this is a show that is absolutely, absolutely 100% designed in the same vein as like target audience, age group, and demograph as Doctor Who modern doctor who because it feels very much like that kind of production where everything's pretty good nothing's too real there is there are um so um for a bit of context this is set in victorian london the series follows a gang of troubled street teens who are manipulated into solving crimes for the sinister dr watson and his mysterious business partner the elusive sherlock holmes and is Sherlock Holmes like out of copy right now? Is that why this is happening? Probably. Yeah, I think it's been o- over a century. So yeah, unless um, the estate of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle is just kind of going, yeah, go at it, go at it. I'm just taking <laughs> money. Um, but you've, it's got some fairly talented young actors in it, particularly the 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 main kind of lead actor, I guess, certainly as it seems from the first episode, uh, character of B, paid, played by Thaddea Graham, who I don't really know her from anything. Um, she was in a BBC production called Us um, last year. She was in The Letter for the King, which is another Netflix show. Um, yeah, I don't really know, but she's like uh, charismatic, quite interesting. Um I like the fact that it actually embracing something that you didn't get to see very often in a lot of um, Victorian era productions where there's a lot of diversity, like the um, character of Dr. Watson is played by uh, his name is Royce Pearson. Um, he is also he plays one of the uh, the mages in Netflix, The Witcher. He is a an interesting um, actor. He's a black guy, so I think maybe the first interpretation of Doctor Watson as a black guy. Um, there's um, uh, uh, Thaddea Graham, Asian, and um, but she's speaking with a 
classic English London accent, and it's kind of not the typical um, Asian character that you got in the Arthur Conan Doyle things, where it was so they were, they would always be sort of those the people that would run the opium houses and the opium dens where Sherlock Holmes would go, and they were always depicted in very very stereotypical Asian gowns and things like that. Whereas this is just someone, a young child who was obviously adopted by someone. The mother has since passed on. So she's been brought up English for of a, lack of a better descriptor. She just so happens to be Asian. And it's really nice to have all these varieties going on because that's what Victoria London was. It was a molding pot of everything. It was fantastic. So it's nice to see that coming through in these younger actors. Um, they're delving a bit more into the the supernatural. Certainly, the first episode. It's got um, uh, what's his name? Uh, yeah, Rory McGann, um, the guy who played the Hound from Game of Thrones. For people who know, he's uh, he's been in tons of things. You'll look at him. He's got oh that guy. He's the main bad guy, and the reasoning behind what he does. It's not bad. It's very sympathetic, but it's everything about it kind of feels a little on the cheap side. It's a little bit like the sort of like reimagined Doctor Who stuff where it's like, okay, you've clearly not got quite much of a budget. You're using CGI, but it's still a little bit shitty. And the story is a little bit held together by staples. But it's a problem with a lot of Netflix shows that kind of have eyes uh, bigger than their stomach. They're kind of like, I want to tell this grand story, but my my budget doesn't, you know, a beer, what are they, sort of like yeah. a beer lifestyle and a champagne budget or champagne yeah. lifestyle and a beer budget. Yeah, that, that's exactly the feel that um, this is kind of exuding. And I don't know if I'm going to go back for any more episodes because they're, they're long episodes. It, 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 the, the first episode, it's... Um, typically it doesn't have the, the runtime for me. That's just annoying. But it, I think it's like an hour, and it, ooh, it's a long hour. Um, and, you know, I, I get, like, at least with Falcon and the Winter Soldier episode one, they were doing a lot of world building, whereas this one, they're throwing a lot of stuff at you, and all of it feels half-baked. And whereas with Falcon and the Winter Soldier, you've got at least a little bit of knowledge going into it if you've followed any of the mcu stuff you've got a bit of a, a base already this is trying to do a little bit of a twist on the sherlock holmes thing fortunately which I has been done yeah and done and then done some more and then it did a bit after that like it's yeah done yeah we've had if, it, if it's out of if it's out of copyright mm. i guess that kind of makes sense because it's a well-known brand yeah, absolutely. This this is now. I think I think Sherlock Holmes is kind of falling into the same kind of bucket as like um, I, oh, like the Tarzan and things where they kind of go, oh, there's some really cool things on it. Let's just reimagine that, and it has been reimagined so many times. Like we got the Benedict Cumberbatch modern day, more realistic kind of things. We got the Guy Ritchie stuff. We got um, Enola Holmes. Enola Holmes, which is actually not bad. It's not by not totally based on Arthur Conan Doyle. It's a kind of spin-off story that and 
Millie Bobby it's, Brown is just incredibly charming it's in it. It's dumb. Like, it's dumb. Like, I remember writing a story of a friend of mine who wanted to make a female gangster film back about 15 years ago, yeah. and she called it Ali Capone. I mean... Oh, no. Yeah. Like, Enola Holmes. Like, I mean, it might be good, but that name basically just tacks it onto that Sherlock Holmes it's bandwagon. backwards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I, it, it, yeah. I'm kind of sick of seeing it, frankly. I'm kind of over it. And I yeah. like Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, I do too. I th- I think that when done well, it's really good. And I really like the concept of going into what the life of Sherlock Holmes irregulars was like. There are the people living on the streets and it's like, okay, you could have some really fucking cool story here. But it kind of feels teenage angsty. It, it's not... I don't think it really quite entirely knows what audience... Is actually they've they've like I said at the start, it feels like it's aiming for the Doctor Who style audience, whereas adults who had it who grew up with Doctor Who and they're now introducing their kids to it. It feels like that, but it's like okay, no adults have grown up with oh that's my favorite irregular or anything like that. There's no point of reference other than John Watson and this aloof Sherlock Holmes, and it's like. Okay, I don't think it's going to work. So you, you, it feels like it's hedging its bets. It's like, mm, might we might we still might be able to just age it down to be a younger thing and more of a supernatural kind of style, or maybe we could go more serious if if the adult audience is the ones that really gravitate to this. And it's like, you're probably going to end up losing both of them by going that route. You're gonna gotta you gotta go one way or the other, right? You can't sort of commit, you know. You gotta, you gotta commit one way. Interestingly, Arthur Conan Doyle's estate is suing Netflix over Enola Holmes um, for some reason, despite the fact that Sherlock Holmes is now public domain. Mm, so interesting, uh, interesting, interesting, interesting stuff. Um, you know, if if the law had actually not been amended, Mickey Mouse would be public domain now. Wouldn't yeah. that be interesting? Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't that be interesting? See Mickey Mouse popping up on Netflix uh, in a uh, gritty <laughs> adult drama. <laughs> But that's the thing, okay. Mickey Mouse is the the icon of Disney. Don't really see him. He's not really in it, in anything. He's just he's just a logo now, really. Pretty much. He he, he tells you what floor you're stopping at at Disney, Disney Tokyo Disney. Oh, it's he's a bellhop. <laughs> important job. <laughs> he speaks Japanese, so he's doing well. <laughs> well on that note i think that two just over two hours we've had a long one this this time if you stuck with us all that time i say respect yes respect you you win yourself um buy yourself a beer well done <laughs> uh apologies if i haven't addressed your comment mm. uh in the uh, last half of the show as i said the chat yeah, crash. the chat's been delayed for some reason. So uh, I think it's playing nicely. Um, so I haven't been ignoring chat people uh, deliberately. I just can't see the chat. Um, hey, so sorry. Right here. Ooh. Um, so the wonderful. Brady Bunch. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, thank you oh, for listening. Yeah, see, oh. this way, it, they actually pop up. Huh. Do that next it's, week. You go, yeah, look at that getting organized. I've only been yeah. doing restream for a year now. Um, <laughs> let's, 
let's say thank you anyone who tuned in on the live stream thank you for watching if you're on on twitch or on youtube or on the facebooks uh if you're asking questions about airplane two posters you know uh we appreciate the interaction uh thanks miss foxy b for your questions to see archimedes i think he i'm speaking for archimedes here i think he appreciates it uh look at that that's a face that says appreciation that's a that's an appreciative dog right there. Uh, I don't think Husky's are capable of appreciation. No one. He's a he's a willful animal. Mm, yeah, yeah. He's, he's also a big daddy's boy. Um. <laughs> thank but, you to my a glamorous co-host Archimedes. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and George. Oh goodness me! <laughs> Stop that. But, um, yes, thank you. Um, if you are interested, you can uh, download this podcast on all good podcast services. You can catch us. Um, you can watch us um, at a later date, youtube.com slash armchair producers. Um, uh, usually goes up, I think, 24 hours after we've gone live. So usually Thursday evening, you should be able to watch it whenever you like. Um, it will also be on twitch.tv slash the fried brain where you can rewatch whenever you like. You can also leave comments on twitch.tv slash the fried brain uh, chat and it'll um, update me later on. Um, Foxy B has been doing that and I've been trying to try to keep up to date as well. Um, and of course, both of us are on Facebook, facebook.com slash uh, fried brain productions for me and Travis, he has got his at facebook.com slash Travis Croft. On the Twitters, I'm, I'm currently blowing up uh, on the Twitters. Mm -hmm. um, so thank you again, everyone, for watching and your interaction. Uh, send us in your suggestions if it's something you want us to, to mm -hmm. run through the shredder. Um, otherwise, thank you very much and good night, everyone. Good night. Thank you for listening to Armchair Producers. We are a weekly podcast every Wednesday at 8pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. We appreciate your support. Thank you for listening to our podcast. And if you'd like to follow along live, please go to twitch.tv slash thefriedbrain, where you can actually also donate to us, as well as watching us live on youtube.com slash friedbrainproductions or facebook.com slash friedbrainproductions. Thank you and see you next time. Bye-bye.